Good morning, Joy Church. How are you doing today? Good to see you guys. Welcome. Hey, I want to say a special welcome to Regal Second Service. I'm over at UO in the future or in the past or something like that. But uh, so excited to have both of our campuses with us today. Greeting uh, Regal Second Service on video today, but we're excited to be together. How many of you are happy to be here today on this beautiful Sunday? It's awesome. How many of you got a nice cup of coffee on the way in and you're feeling good, get a little caffeinated, ready to jump in? Well, if you're joining us uh, this week for the first time, you wouldn't have heard last week that we started a new series called Loveology. Loveology. And so we're talking all about love. Everybody say love. Ah, love. And we're talking about relationships, we're talking about marriage, we're talking about dating, we're talking about singleness, we're talking about it all. And God's heart, God's perspective on love. And if you're here and you're like, well, I've been there, I've done that, I bought the t-shirt and I am not going back to love, right? I swore it off. Uh, I've been divorced, I've had negative experiences, so this isn't for me. No, I want you to lean in because there's something here for everybody during this Series And last week we talked about the fact that God is often seen as the murderer of love. We watched a clip from Dan in real life where the girl screams, you're a murderer of love to her dad. And that's how we often see God, that God wants to take away all the fun. God wants to take away all the the excitement of of romance and love and sex. And, And the reality though is very, very different that God created romance. He created sex and God is so awesome. God created us for relationship, not just with him, but with each other. And God has some, some thoughts and some parameters for that that we, can, but that we can best flourish within. But God's not the murderer of love. And so today we're moving forward in the series and it falls to me the honor to speak about sex, which is uncomfortable for an introvert because there's literally nothing I would rather, there's nothing I would rather do less than this, than get up in front of all of you. No, I'm just kidding. But I, this is gonna be an exciting day. And I think this is gonna open our eyes to God's heart, God's perspective on something that is really an important area Area, not just in our personal life, but in our society, right? In our culture. Because the actions and the, and the perspectives of individuals is what creates the fabric of culture, what creates the fabric of society. Isn't that true? And so uh, finding out God's perspective on this important area on sexuality is such a big deal. And I won't be able to cover everything, but I think God's going to speak to each and every one of us today in a meaningful way. And hopefully this is going to be nothing like the talk, right? How many of you had to go through the talk, you know what I'm saying? It was like your mom or your dad. Thank you, sir. He's, he's like, yes, I did. I'm still scarred. I remember my mom gave me the most ambiguous book possible about sex. And so now all, it was like about the birds and the bees. And now I just feel weird when I eat honey. I don't know why. Um, it's, just, it's just weird. Uh, but this isn't going to be like that. Hopefully, hopefully not awkward at all. But this topic is so important in our culture so important in our culture. And what's interesting is in our culture, sex has been raised to the level of what I call idolatry. And idolatry is a really scary word. Um, It's a big, scary word, but all it means, an idol is just something that we put in the place of God. Something that maybe we give our affection, our attention, what we call our worship to, and something that we turn to for satisfaction or turn to for fulfillment or meaning. So it's just anything that takes the place of God in our lives. And in our culture, Sex has become this thing that has really drawn the affection, the attention, the the focus, and living towards the worship. It's become an idol in our culture. Did you know that 36% of the internet is porn? 36% of the internet is porn. The rest is cat memes. Um, But 36% is pornography, which is shocking. I mean, the internet is absolutely massive. So to, to think about that, 
is, is crazy. One out of four Google searches is sexual in nature. One out of four Google searches is sexual in nature. And then you have dating apps that have come, out, come on the scene in the last uh, 10, 15 years. Dating apps like Tinder. And don't, you don't know what Tinder is. Don't, don't act like, you know, you don't, you don't admit it if you do. But Tinder, uh, it's, I don't know if it started this way, but what it's actually become now is Tinder is a way to basically get casual sex, to have hookups, right? So Tinder is that whole thing where you swipe left, you swipe right, you write a bio on there and you have a picture and basically you go on and, and, and it's about hitting it and quitting it, if you know what I mean. Um, it's about just, I want to hook up with somebody. I want to have this sexual relationship, but I don't want to be committed. I don't want it to go any deeper than that. And so I'm just going to find somebody, hey, you're hot, I'm hot, let's do this thing, uh, and then let's move on. That, that's, that's, that's going on. I think Tinder actually just put out that they've just had their billionth swipe. So somebody swiped on there uh, for the billionth time. Our culture came up with this idea, this concept of what we call casual sex. You might, if you're younger than maybe 40, you might call this hooking up, right? In Medford at my church, we would say no hooking up and hanging out, right? And that was just kind of the broad category of that. Um, this is, everybody's just really quiet today. You, you can help me out here, guys. <laughs> Hooking up and hanging out. That's where our culture is at. Now here, you're probably thinking, oh great, another Christian message where a pastor's gonna get up and tell us, don't do this, don't do that. No, 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 no. It's gonna be negative. Here's all the things you can't do or God's gonna strike you dead. And that's not true. And I'm not even coming against culture or saying anything about culture as if I stand or we stand as a church on the other side, kind of with judgmentalism. No, this is our culture. These are our people. This is God's people. These are God's sons and daughters. This is the, the country, the culture, the society that we live in. And God wants to redeem this culture, right? So if 36% of the internet is porn, does that mean God wants to roast the internet? No, because right now we're preaching the gospel on the internet, right in this very moment. So what do we want to do? We want to see redemption and restoration and recreation take place in our culture. And here's the thing. The idea of sex is trademarked and it's patented and it belongs to God. And he has a beautiful plan for sex. And so the enemy has come in and tried to steal that and say, look, this belongs to me. And all the fun, all the good stuff about sex is really when you, when you do it my way, so the devil says, and God's like, no, 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 I have a better plan for all of you. I really want you to find satisfaction and fulfillment. And that's really what sex is about. It's about finding satisfaction and fulfillment. See, nobody goes, hey, I'm going to get on Tinder because I hate Jesus. That's not what they're saying. They're saying, I, I need to fill something inside of me. There's, a, there's an, a, a, a hole in my heart. There's a place where I'm hungry or, hungry or thirsty for satisfaction, and I'm trying to fill that place. And so ultimately sex is about satisfaction. And therefore the question is, where do we turn? Where do we look for satisfaction in our lives? And the problem with this area started all the way back in the Garden of Eden when Satan in the form of a serpent lied to Eve and said, has God really said? Do you think that you should really trust God? Because you know, God's not really telling you the whole truth. Actually, if you eat this fruit, you're not really going to die. That's still the same lie that God doesn't have a better plan, that God's way isn't better, and it's not true. So the million-dollar question for us today is, do we believe that God has a better plan for our sex life than the devil does? See, millions and billions of people, even Christians, they think that the devil has a better plan or a better idea about sex than God. And that's simply not true because he is the creator. He's the maker. He formed and fashioned every one of us lovingly 
physiologically, psychologically, solically, in every single way God made us the way we are. Even our desire, our hunger for sexual intimacy, God placed that there, but there's a right expression and a wrong expression, right? Just like there's a right way to drive a car and a wrong way, and we all know the wrong way. It's how people drive on the belt line. I saw somebody do something absolutely insane the other day. They like pulled up behind somebody and they're like honking and doing a swerve thing and they're doing this like weird dodge and then they fly around him and almost get in an accident. And I'm like, is that worth it? You get to get to Lee's Donuts like 10 seconds faster than him. It doesn't, it's not worth it, right? You're, you're not living your, your life the right way. Do we think God has a better plan? The designer, the creator, the maker, do we believe that he might have a better idea about how you can find fulfillment and satisfaction in every area of life than the devil does? The objection says, well, well, yeah, but sure, sure, pastor, sure, you can say it like that, but what about all the rules? The Bible's repressive, it's regressive, it's restrictive. God just wants to lock you down and, and, and you, you know, we all have heard this story. It's so repressive. We need to correct this idea, and I mentioned it last week, but... I'll just reinforce it a little bit. God is not a prude. God does not wear a fanny pack. Come on. God doesn't watch the Hallmark Channel. Come on, somebody. Like, uh, <laughs> boom, it just got real in here, son. Okay, just kidding. He loves it. I'm sure he sits there and drinks pumpkin spice lattes with his man bun. No, he got, this is not happening. God is not a prude. He's not anti-sexual. God created sex. He said, right in the very beginning, we talked about this last week, in the context of blessing, God said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. God is not anti-sexual. He's not, he's not prudish. The difference between God and culture is that, that actually God values sex way more. You're like, what are you talking about? God has this value, places this worth and value upon sex way higher than we do or way higher than our culture does. To God, sex is something to be valued and protected because it's so worth, it's worth something. God sees sex like a diamond, whereas our culture sees it like plastic. See, when, when something is valuable, we don't leave it in the front yard. How many of you have kids? And you're like, if you leave your bike in the yard, it's going to get stolen and they don't want to believe it. So when the bike gets stolen, you're like, don't leave something in the yard. We don't leave our treasure out in the yard. You don't say, hey, I know what I want to do with our family heirloom jewelry. I'm going to put it in the front yard. It will disappear. But this is, think about this with the idea of sex. God says, look, sex is so valuable that we need to put it in the right context, protect it. We're going to put some circles around it, some barriers around it because it's so valuable. I'm going to talk about this idea. Culture says, nah, sex is just skin on skin. Because it comes from this worldview that all we are is time plus slime plus chance that all we are is bone and biology and blood and we're just sacks of water with brains and we're basically like elevated apes. And some people are, but you know, but that's the idea. That's the idea. I'm just, I'm just playing. No, we're made in the image of God. We have worth and value in our personhood. But culture says, look, it's just skin on skin. It's just physical. What's the big deal? It's just casual sex. You don't have to make it a big deal. It's just one piece of your body and another piece of your body. And that's as graphics I'm going to get. All right. Uh, that's all it is. It's just biology. And God says, actually, hold on a second. Take a step back. Sex is way more valuable than that. There's way more to sex. There's way more worth and value and meaning within the, not just the sexual act, but your sexuality. Sex is beautiful. It's powerful. It's meaningful. It's, it's spiritual. And because of that, God says, I, I put some protection. I've put some boundaries, not to keep you, not to make you unfree, not to make you bound, 
God doesn't put boundaries and restrictions on something because he wants us to not have any fun or not enjoy it. It's because he wants us to flourish within our purpose and our design. So which one of these ideas is right? Is God's idea about sex right? That it's, there's more to it than just skin on skin? Or is culture's idea about sex right? And I think, truthfully, deep down, each and every one of us knows the answer to this question. Because it's one thing to say, well, it's just skin on skin. It's just sex. It's just biology. But then I want you to think about being in, let's say, you're a married person. And if your husband comes in, he's like, hey, babe. Yeah, I had a good day at work. Uh, hit it and quit it. Got on Tinder. And, you know, Shirley and I, we hooked up. Or Suzanne or whatever. And, and you're like, excuse me. Right? And all of a sudden, the kitchen knife comes out. Right? Because, because it's about to get real. Well, no, it's just biology. The, guys, go ahead and use that on your wife and see how it works out for you. Oh, it's just sex. It's just physical. It didn't mean anything. I actually love you. We know that's not true. We know that's not true. Because we know that there's something about sex, there's something deep, there's something meaningful, and it clues us in to the fact that God's perspective is right. Let's jump into the scriptures and see what they have to say about this question. I want to take us on a trip real quick to first century Corinth, which is a city in Greece. Corinth was one of the places that Paul went on his missionary journeys, and he actually spent, the apostle Paul, he spent a lot of time there raising up a church and we might think, okay, I'm thinking first century uh, Greece, so everybody's wearing like long black robes and everyone, you know, walks in single file lines and it's just dusty and there's no sex and it's really prudish. Actually, this, that's a wrong idea. Corinth is basically first century Las Vegas. You know, people were having, you know, bumper stickers on their camels, like what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth, <laughs> right? Um, Corinth, there's a, there's, a, there's a big giant hill, a big rock outcrop in the middle of the city, and it's called the Acro-Corinth. Like Athens has the Acropolis, the Acrocorinth is in the middle of Corinth. And on the top was this temple to Aphrodite or, or Venus, the goddess of love. And there was actually a thousand female prostitutes that operated in this place. And so um, part of the way they worshiped the goddess Aphrodite was they would actually go and have sex with prostitutes. And it was this whole ritual thing. And so needless to say, um, there was a problem with sex in this, in this city. There was an issue. And it wasn't this kind of like stoic a uh, real serious place. It was, it was a lot like our time today. And so if we think our time is so different, it's not. Everything that was happening, everything that's going on now is happening at this time in history. And so this is the context where Paul writes this letter to the church in Corinth. And he, and he writes this letter, we, we call it 1 Corinthians. And I'm gonna start off in chapter six, verse 16. And there's a lot here and I'll unpack a little bit of it as we go. I'm gonna read out of the message paraphrase, but Paul is talking about this idea about sex. Is God's idea right? Is culture's idea right? And he says, there's more in verse 16, there's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. As written in scripture, the two become one. I want you to hold that in your, your mind for a second because that's, integral to understanding God's view of sex. He says, as written in scripture, the two become one. Since we want to become spiritually one with the master, and what he's saying here is since we want to be one with Jesus, okay, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy. Hitting it and quitting it does not pursue commitment and intimacy. Come on, somebody. Hooking up and hanging out does not pursue commitment and intimacy. He says, don't pursue that kind. Leaving us more lonely than ever. The kind of sex that can never become one. There is a sense in which sexual sins are different from all others. This is important here. Paul says, in sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies. And he's cluing us in that there's something here about design and purpose. 
These bodies that were made for God-given and God-modeled love. We talked last week about God's kind of love, agape. It's self-sacrificial, altruistic, just love, unconditional love, God's kind of love. We're made for that, God-given and God-modeled love, for becoming one with another. Or didn't you realize that your body is a sacred place, the place of the Holy Spirit? Don't you see that you can't live however you please, squandering what God paid such a high price for? The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. It's an important thing. God owns the whole works. So let people see God in and through your body. Now there's a lot there. Let's unpack this a little bit. Paul was writing this letter to Corinth and the context of what's taking place is that within the Corinthian church, there were two factions, two parties that had different perspectives of sex. And I think it's interesting because the one on one side, so the one side of the Corinthian Christians, they were saying, hey, sex is just biology. It's skin on skin. Just like food is made to be eaten. You're, you, you want food, you eat food. You want sex, you have sex. That's what it is. It's just biology. Because they were saying, you know, our soul and our body is different. It's separated. And basically we can love Jesus and be a Christian in our heart, right? And Jesus in my heart, Jesus is in my heart. We can love Jesus in this way. It's just spiritual. So what we do in our body, it doesn't matter, right? And this, we kind of get this idea, right? This is culture. And this is even what some Christians actually think. And this is what some Christians were thinking at this stage. Then there was another party that Paul actually deals with in chapter seven. And they were saying, hey, sex is dirty. Sex is bad. Sex is yucky. It's icky. So, you know, this is, we see this kind of in the church sometimes, don't we? That we talk about sex and the way it's put out is that it's dirty and it's gross. And basically you should only have sex twice and have two kids and that's it. Hello, somebody. Like, that's it. And, and, and God's just like, ah, no, no, you, you both have it wrong. Both of these are lies. Sex isn't gross and dirty and, and, and out of bounds. No, God actually celebrates human sexuality in the right context. God designed us that way. So, he's, so it's not dirty and gross, but, but it's not just skin on skin. There's something more. So he, Paul's writing and he's saying, look, guys, it's not just skin on skin. It's not like just eating food. Yeah, I'm hungry, so I eat. I, am, I'm, I want to have sex, so I have sex. That's not how it works. And he begins to, to bring this idea. He says, look, sex is about something mysterious. It's about this, this thing that he calls becoming one. And we're going to look into that. And he says, look, you're not, your body's not just some kind of piece of property uh, that belongs to the spiritual part of you. He's dealing with these lies. And what he's doing in this passage is he's actually quoting from the Old Testament. And he's taking, he's taking some, some ideas from, from Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to look at this right now. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, this is right in the very beginning of everything. When God's created the heavens and the earth, and he's set up humanity, and he's created sex, and he's created romance— and God has just got done saying, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. Then in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, he says, it is not good for the man to be alone. And all the women say, amen. He's a mess. I'm telling he's a mess. You see, he's a pig, right? We say, it's not good for man to be alone. God said that. God says, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. I want to preach on this verse because it gets used wrongfully, but I'm not going to preach on it right now. So don't let me, okay? I'll just say one thing, promise. A lot of times we take this idea of a helper and we say, oh, it means a wife just comes along and she's the husband's helper. And we, that means she needs to be barefoot in the kitchen pregnant with an apron on. That's not what this is saying. It's not what this is saying. This actually is saying a like power. In other words, God's going to bring a power like you together so you can both do something amazing together. So I just want to throw that out there. And then verse 21 says, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. 
While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Now this isn't, he didn't just take a rib. The word for rib, it actually means God took out a side wall. It means God took out a function of his personhood because Adam was actually carrying the full image of God. When God made him in Genesis 1, he says male and female. Adam had kind of both of these wrapped up. So God is actually saying, I'm going to pull this aspect of my image out of you. It's not that woman is like just derivative, if that makes sense. Okay. And so God pulls the rib closes up the opening. Then it says, and the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. And verse 23, I think is so great because the man says, at last, which is what every guy should shout on his wedding day. Hallelujah. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Okay. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She, shall, she will be called woman because she was taken from man. Now listen here. In verse 24, it gives us this powerful theological foundational statement about sex, about marriage, about, and about God and everything here. It says, this explains what's just been spoken of. Just This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Into one. Now, this is what Paul is referring to when he's dealing with both sides of this lie in, in the church in Corinth, Right? He's dealing with this and he says, look, you need to understand sex is about this thing about becoming one. So what does this mean? It means that sex is way more than just skin on skin, but it's not dirty. It's not yucky. It's about oneness. That marriage is not just this tradition. I had the opportunity to, to do a wedding yesterday and, and get, um, um, oversee the ceremony for these two beautiful, amazing young people. And I love being in that, that place because as the pastor you get to stand behind them and you're up close. And so you see them looking to each other's eyes. And, and, I, and, I, and in that moment, everybody was just like, it was all normal before the wedding starts. But the minute the music comes on and that beautiful bride comes down in the white dress, you can feel the presence of God comes in that place. Because something special happens in the context of marriage because it's, it's, it's so important and so deep that marriage is actually this institution and sex and marriage are intrinsically linked and it's about oneness. It's about oneness. Now, this word one is really deep and rich. This word one is the word in Hebrew, echad. You can say it like that. It makes you feel really, you know, when you say Hebrew words like that. Um, okay, so when you do these Hebrew words, echad, and it means one. And it says this in the Shema, Hero Israel, the Lord is echad, the Lord is one. It means a fusion of nature at the deepest physical, emotional, spiritual level that man and woman come together in marriage and sex and it's this two are united into one. That's what it's about. Now here's the problem. If we try to remove sex from this context, we break both marriage and sex because they're both about the same thing. They're about oneness. And God made sex for marriage and marriage for sex because they're both about oneness, about about bringing this restoration of the image of God, male and female coming together. And that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians that sexual sin is a sin against our own bodies because what he's saying is you are fighting against your purpose. You were created for oneness with God, oneness with each other. And if you take sex out of this context, it becomes a, something actually damaging rather than something beautiful and something enriching. Marriage is for sex and sex is for marriage because they are both about echad. They're both about oneness. They're both about this fusion this intimacy. And Paul 
That's what he's talking about is this story. This is what marriage is about. This is what sex is about. He's saying, guys, you're missing it. If you think sex is gross and dirty and, you know, uh, that you should never have sex uh, in the context of marriage, that's what the the Christians in, in Corinth were actually saying. They were like, look, get married, but just love Jesus and never have sex. That's horrible. That would really stink. Anybody else want to help me out here today? Okay. All you married men are liars. You're acting like you don't. Anyways, okay. So he's saying that's a wrong idea. God made it from this context. And then those that are saying, no, sex doesn't really matter. He's saying, no, you're wrong. That sex in this context, it comes into its own. It's about echad. It's about oneness. That sex fuses people at the deepest level possible. It connects us physically, emotionally, spiritually. And that's why God ordained sex to be contained within marriage. There's so much debate and noise about this in culture. And the reality is that God isn't saying he says, look, sex belongs in this context, and there's a reason for that. And we say, yeah, but what, what, you know, God says you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do that, you can't do that. And it's not about that. It's about God saying, this is what I designed. This is what I made. This is the right place. This is the place where it really shines. This is where you will experience satisfaction. Every other area will leave you empty. Every other area is a misuse, not just of you breaking the rules, but it's a misuse of your body. It's a misuse of your design. And you can get angry about it, you can fight against it, but you will never find fulfillment and satisfaction until you realize this, okay? Let's move on. You guys all right today? Sex is beautiful, it's powerful, and it's meaningful. I want to walk you through these three words this morning. Sex is beautiful, it's powerful, and it's meaningful. First, sex is beautiful, and we talked about this. God made it to fuse two people at the deepest level possible, this echad, the oneness, the intertwining of body, soul, and spirit. Sex is not cheap and dirty. Within the context of marriage, sex is absolutely amazing. It's beautiful. And the exclusivity of sex in the Christian perspective and God's perspective has to do with its value. See, we, we, we get it wrong when we say, no, God is, he's diminishing sex by saying that it's off limits or it's out of bounds outside the context of marriage, but it's actually the opposite. He's saying, no, it's worth so much. It's so valuable that this is the context I've placed it in. We protect what's valuable. Listen to what Proverbs chapter 16 says, verse 15. It it says, drink water from your own well. Share your love only with your wife. Why spill the water of your springs in the streets, having sex with just anyone? You should reserve it for yourselves. Never share it with strangers. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. God says, guys, listen. Sex is like a vintage wine that you leave it in the cellar, you protect it, you guard it. You don't spray it around at the party. Like you don't, you don't just pour it out. You know, you don't water the garden with it. It's something that should be reserved. It's like for Bethany and I, it's like original Cheez-Its. We don't share those with the kids, right? You know what I'm saying? You're like, whoa, is that a metaphor? No, I mean original Cheez-Its. It's not a metaphor. Like, Straight up, our kids can have the like Cheddar Jack ones. Those are kind of not great, whatever. But the original Cheez-Its, don't touch them. I had Cheez-Its, you know, that I was eating yesterday and my kids were like, can we have some? Like, no, get out of here. (laughs) It's a biblical idea. I'm living out how I view uh, this, you know, (laughs) get away from my Cheez-Its. How many of you know there's like something special? You You don't just share it out with everyone. That's what God says, the value of sex so reserve it for yourselves. Never share it with stranger. And there's a reason for this. It's because within the context of marriage, sex is so awesome. There's this giant, there's this myth in our culture that says married sex is dull, it's boring, and it gets worse over time. 
That is wrong. That is wrong. Married sex is actually better. Like anything, practice makes perfect. And here's the awesome thing about marriage is like, it's all on limits. Okay, now you got to amen me, okay? Like in the context of marriage and commitment and intimacy and fellowship in marriage where you've covenanted with one another and you're committed to one another, God celebrates your sexuality. And actually, this is backed up by science. There's been some studies specifically out of the University of Virginia showing that the highest levels of sexual satisfaction are found within monogamous married couples that had little or no sex before marriage. In other words, the idea about culture is take it for a test drive, hit it and quit it, and you'll get better at sex. And that's wrong that even scientists are coming and saying, actually, the best sex is more like people that are celebrating their 20th wedding anniversary that were virgins on their wedding night. Come on, somebody, that maybe God had a better perspective and idea about sex than our culture does. And so this is, this is the thing. We, we miss it if we think it's, if we're like, no, no, God doesn't understand. Do you think the devil has a better plan, a better idea, a better worth and value for your life and your sex life than God does? The answer is no. God says, this is where I designed it to work and it's gonna be awesome in this context. Outside, it turns into something different. Sex is beautiful. Number two, sex is powerful. It's powerful and powerful things are capable of great good or great evil, right? Power in and of itself is not intrinsically wrong or, or force or you know dynamite isn't intrinsically wrong, but if you put it in the wrong context, it becomes Damaging. Pastor Levi Lesko says this, with sex, you can do in minutes something you'll regret for decades. Isn't that true? You could do something in minutes that you'll regret for decades. Why? Because sex is powerful. God didn't, didn't hold back when he created sex. It is so powerful. In the right context, this power works for you. In the wrong context, it works against you. Like Spider-Man's uncle said, With great power comes great responsibility. (laughs) Got to quote Spider-Man's uncle. Awesome stuff in the wrong context isn't awesome. How many of you think firecrackers are awesome? Yes, right. Firecrackers. I I, I ended up getting my hands on some firecrackers one time, which was probably a mistake by my parental figures. And I got these firecrackers, and I decided I'm going to blow up this grass, this dry grass that was like, puffed up and tufts of this dry grass in our field, I'm going to put a bunch of firecrackers and I'm going to light them. And then when they explode, it'll shoot grass up like a movie. It'll be cool. That's not what happened. (laughs) So I took the firecrackers and I lit the fire. And when I was lighting the firecracker, I ended up actually managing to light the firecracker. But at the same time, I lit the dry grass on fire. So then there was a huge grass fire and I'm running away and I'm hearing firecracks and I'm like, ah! awesome stuff in the wrong context isn't awesome anymore, right? And you're like, that's actually kind of awesome. Well, it ended up awesome because we were able to put the fire out, but I almost burned down our field and and our house and the neighborhood. Uh, Awesome stuff in the wrong context isn't awesome. Uh, And that's how we treat sex, isn't it? We're like, well, sex is awesome. Yeah, that's true. So it's awesome in any context. No, actually it could be very damaging because it's so powerful in the wrong context. And we understand this idea that sex is so powerful that it actually requires a lifelong, committed, covenantal relationship between a man and a woman in order to be healthy and meaningful. The reason for this is that sex is like super glue for souls. It's like gorilla glue for, for, for your personhood. Once it sticks, it's not meant to come unstuck. Once you have sex with someone, you become one, echad, fused at the deepest physical, spiritual, emotional, intellectual level possible for two human beings 
actually a reflection of the fusion of the Trinity of God himself, that the Lord is one. And when you have echad, when you have oneness with someone, that's never meant to be undone. That's why God says sex is so great in marriage, but outside of marriage, when you're just spreading it around, what you're ending up doing is you're taking like a sticky note and you're sticking it and then unsticking it and sticking it and unsticking it and sticking it and unsticking it. And eventually what happens is it's not sticky anymore, which is why we live in a culture that literally can't get enough sex. Because the thing is, when you can't stick to anything anymore, yet you were made to stick, you were made to be one, you were made to experience intimacy, you were made for a cod, but now a cod is less and less and less and less because your cod is everywhere. You're, you're one with all kinds of people. You've given pieces of yourself and, and you've stuck to things and, and the super glue, and then you pull it apart. There's a problem with that. It's so powerful in the right context. It's awesome. In marriage, when, when, when my wife and I come together in intimacy and have sex, we refuse, we, we reconnect at the deepest level possible. And basically what we're doing is we're getting remarried. We're saying we're back together. The fusion has come back together and we're one. But the problem with this is that, that that's awesome in that context. Outside of that context, it's so damaging. And we've seen this, haven't we, in culture? And we've seen this in our own lives. Our culture is oblivious to the power of sex because it's just say, hey, it's just, Recreation, as long as it's consensual, it's okay, right? N no, it, it's not. not. Beyond it being morally uh, out of bounds, it's physically unwise. It's, it, it, it destroys you on the inside when you just get stuck, unstuck, unstuck. There's a problem with that thinking. There is no undo button with sex. You, you can't shake the etch-a-sketch. There's no way to just like say, well, I, I, I didn't mean that undo, redo, you don't get that, right? And so you're like, man, I'm really bummed out because I, no, I'm, there's some grace in this and I'll get to that in a few minutes. But I think we need to really see this, that sex is so powerful. You fuse your soul to somebody. So it's fantastic in a committed covenantal relationship, but when there's no commitment, when it's just hit it and quit it, when it's that casual kind of sex, the consequences can be devastating because the reality is there is no such thing as casual sex. All sex is serious. All sex is serious. In any context, not just talking about having sex with someone, sexuality expressed, sexuality expressed in any way outside of the context of marriage ends up being very serious. Why are we so brokenhearted as a culture? It's fascinating that there's so much seeking for satisfaction and fulfillment. Why are we so brokenhearted? The reason is because we're ripping each other apart. Because we're saying, look, God's idea about sex is wrong. Our idea about sex is right. And we're becoming fused. And then we're unfusing, fused, unfusing. That's why there's so much brokenheartedness because we're ripping each other apart. Number three, sex is meaningful. Sex is meaningful. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. In the, in the scriptures, the heart references the inner person, the, the inside part of you. You're not just a, a spirit and a soul um, with a body. You're, you're a holistic person, but there's that inner part of you. And in Proverbs, it's saying guard that inner part of you because it determines the course of your life. Another translation says that the issues of your life flow from that. And so here's the thing. Your sex life affects your whole life. There is no such thing as categorizing and saying, well, I can have casual sex and then I can get into a covenant-committed uh, covenant relationship and there won't be any baggage, there won't be any uh, damage. That's not true. Your sex life affects your whole life because it's a gateway to this inside part of you. It's a gateway to your soul. 
your heart, your inner person. And so sexual immorality, which is just sexual expression outside of God's intention, what it does is it ravages the inside of us. It's like letting a wolf get inside of you and rip you to shreds. And I know we've experienced this. We've all experienced this, that, that sexual immorality, it gets inside and it makes a mess on the inside. What happens in Vegas doesn't stay in Vegas. Your money might stay in Vegas, but the experiences and the decisions that you made, you carry those with you. Here's the thing. Who am I speaking to right now? If you've made mistakes in this area, like all of us have, I'm speaking to you and we're going to talk about grace. But if you are a young person or you're a person and you haven't necessarily gotten wrapped up in immorality, let me just tell you, good job. Don't go there. Don't go there. How many of you know that church isn't just about telling people that God wants to forgive them for the wrong things? It's about giving people a better way to live. Aren't you, how many of you have teenagers? Raise your hand if you have teenagers in here. How many of you would, would pray and be excited for God to give your teen the ability to be a virgin on their wedding night? Come on. That you'd be excited. I mean, get your hands up because that's a good thing. It's not, it's not a joke. Oh, virgins. Oh, no, no, no. Like seriously, how many of you would be excited for young people to capture God's perspective of sexuality and actually live it this way? And have, some, have, some, uh, have an awesome sex life in marriage, but not get all messed up before. What happens in Vegas doesn't stay in Vegas. It comes home with you. Let me just say this to you today. Do not trade. Don't trade a moment of pleasure for a lifetime of regret. Don't trade a moment of pleasure for a lifetime of regret. Our culture thinks, ah, it's just, I can just do this. I can make this decision. It won't affect me. No, it's not true. Paul talks about, this in 1 Corinthians 6, we read this when he says, you do not belong to yourself. God bought you with a high price. He says, run from sexual sin. God bought you. Sex is meaningful. It means something. It means something to you as a person. It means something to other people, right? It means something to others. And it means something to God. That God actually cares about your sex life, not because he wants to control you, but because he wants you to flourish and because he created you for a certain purpose and to live a certain way, sex is meaningful. As we get ready to close up uh, this morning, I want to share with you a couple things that I believe God wants to do in our heart. And I hope that you've seen just how beautiful and powerful and meaningful sex is. I hope it's not coming across as condemning or anything like that at all. But really, I just want to expose all of us to God's heart for this important area. But today, I, I really am praying that we would embrace God's value, God's worth, his perspective of sex instead of our culture's view of sex, that we would allow his word and his way to shape our thinking and to shape our hearts. I wanna leave you with three takeaways. The first thing that I believe God wants to do today is God wants to help us reset regret. Reset regret. Uh, I wanna throw up a chart up here. Uh, go ahead and throw my chart up here. I wanted to show this last week. This is the uh, chart of people who have made a mistake in this area of purity. And so yeah, 100% of us have actually messed up in this area. We didn't, maybe statistically, we could have Jesus be like a tiny sliver, right? Right there. He didn't mess up in this area, but everybody else we've messed up in this area. So this is not a con condemnation thing where like, I'm up here, I'm perfect in this area, and I'm telling you you're wrong. Not at all. Not at all. The reality is all of us have made mistakes. All of us have, have, have done this. But let me just tell you something. God never uses shame to change his children. God never uses shame. So if you feel shame and condemnation, if you feel guilt and, and, uh, and, and a shame upon your life for these kinds of things, just understand that's not from God. Yeah, we might feel guilt because we've done something wrong, but God's not putting shame on us. 
God never wants to shame you. God wants to, that's what Jesus came to take away was your shame. He came to give you life and a new hope and restoration. God wants to forgive us and to heal us and restore us. And God wants to give you back that virgin, pure spirit and heart. Even if you're a married person and you've been married for 25 years, God wants to bring you back to that place of purity where it's just you and your wife, you and your husband. God wants to, if you're a single person, to to get you to uh, your marriage bed regret-free, shame-free. Well, I've already made mistakes in this area. Guess what? The power of Jesus is here today to reset regret. Come on. Well, didn't you say there's no undo button? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's not an undo button, but the power of God can come in and he can do something unique and powerful in you, right? You've had the consequences, but through Jesus, you can get on the road to recovery. You can get on the road to healing and he can do things in a moment that are powerful and amazing. Your road of healing might look like a couple years. Yeah, maybe it's not the best thing to go hop into a relationship right away after you've been uh, immoral or something in this area. But listen, God wants to reset regret. And here's something that I believe the Lord wants to do. And he spoke this to me when I was preparing this message. God wants to change the movie that plays in your head when you lay your head on the pillow at night. Think about that for a second. When you close your eyes and you lay your head down on the pillow, what's that movie of your life that's playing? See, for some people, it's a, bunch of, it's a bunch of men they've chased trying to find satisfaction and fulfillment and the brokenheartedness and the damage and the, the abuse and all that. Maybe for you, it's the abuse you went through as a child. Maybe for you, it's, the, uh, it's, the, it's what you've done to other people. But whatever that is, that movie that plays, the Holy Spirit wants to wipe that away and give you a brand new perspective. God wants to reset regret. Number two, the Lord wants to teach us to pursue purity. See, a lot of times in church, the teaching on sex comes across as negative or defensive, like don't do this, don't do that, don't do that, don't do this. Here's the reality. When God asks you to run away from something, it's because he has something better for you to run towards. Whenever God says, run away from this, he's not just saying you can't have it. He's saying, not the right place, not the right time. I'm gonna send you towards something even better. Come on, somebody. God wants to, to do that. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, it says, now flee, Run away from youthful lusts. My pastor uh, a long time ago said, flee from lustful youths, which is good as well. Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness and faith and love and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. God's saying, run away from sexual immorality, run away from youthful lusts, but you're gonna pursue righteousness and peace, all the good stuff. Righteousness means a right way of living. God wants to give you a new paradigm, a new template, a new op- a way to operate. Uh, he wants to put you in a posse of people that are full of faith and love and peace. Come on, somebody. God wants you to run away from sexual immorality, flee youthful lust, and run towards his purpose and his plan. He wants to teach us to pursue purity. If your life is all about don't push the red button, don't push the red button, don't push the red button, what are you going to do? You're going to push the red button. So we can't just say, don't look at it, don't look at it, don't look at it, don't look at it, don't look at it. You're going to look at it. Don't touch it, don't touch it, don't touch it. You're going to touch it. No, God says, get something else, get a better vision. I want to teach you to pursue purity. I'm preaching good right now. Give me an amen. Okay, pursue purity. And number three, the Lord wants to enable us to find fulfillment. He's going to reset regret. He's going to change the movie in your head. He's going to teach you how to pursue purity in this area. But also what he's going to do, the ultimate thing is teach you to find fulfillment. See, when we grasp God's plan for sex and submit ourselves to his will, we set ourselves up to find fulfillment in this area of our lives. I want to leave you with a bold thought. Did you know that you can be satisfied in your sexuality even without having sex? You're like, what? How is that possible? 
Uh, we just got talk, done talking about all this. Listen, I know for a lot of people, maybe you're here and you're like, well, I'm not married and I, I, I was or I'm not, I haven't been or maybe I'm never going to be again or whatever and I'm just single. And Bethany's going to teach on this next week about singleness. But I want to leave you with this thought that you can be satisfied in your sexuality even without having sex. And here's why. Because ultimately sex is not what satisfies you or makes you. It's God. See, when we think that sex is what we require to be satisfied and fulfilled in life, we actually are missing out on the reality that God is the ultimate satisfaction and fulfillment. It says in John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus is speaking to a woman that had a problem with sex. She had many uh, lovers. She had many relationships. And she's a, a picture of a woman that was trying to find fulfillment and satisfaction in the arms of men. And she meets the best man of all. Jesus comes one day and he meets her at the well in John chapter uh, I think it's John chapter 6 or John chapter 4. I might have the thing wrong. Is it 4? Thanks, thanks, Katrina. She's my Bible scholar helper here. Uh, John chapter 4. And Jesus speaks to her and he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. You're like, I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. I need fulfillment. Yeah, but guess what? Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment. Ultimately, when you anchor your heart and soul to him, you will find satisfaction in the deepest part of you. In Psalms 107, verse nine, he says, for he satisfies the longing soul and he fills the hungry soul with goodness. Ultimately, our satisfaction and fulfillment comes in relationship with God. So whose idea are we gonna believe about sex? God's, or the devil's, God's, or culture's? Here's what I'd like us all to do, to say, you know what? We're gonna humble ourselves and we're gonna connect with what God thinks about this area